This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is ministry from womb to tomb, which means it kind of covers everything but eternity, which is a lot. And uh, our guests today are Rick and Jocelyn Sun, who work with Life International. They're also DTS uh, grads, so uh, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for being a part of The Table. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah, it's such a joy and honor to be here with you, Darabach. Well, as we often do for someone who's a guest with us for the first time, my question is, i got to slightly adjust it for you all, is what's a mm. nice couple like you doing in a gig like this? How did you get to where you are ministering? Tell us that story. Well, Dr. Bach, I'm just going to start from a little bit about my background, okay. so you get to know us a little, and then um, heading towards uh, how we got to DTS. So I was born in Houston and raised in Taiwan. Um, my father passed away when I was six, so my mom took me and my younger sibling to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And it was a culture where, where um, highly academic-driven, um, honor and shame, everything was about performance, appearance, and then knowledge, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it was very difficult. And after college, I wanted to come back just to further study and not knowing that I stepped into a church where my younger sister and my aunt was at. Our father, Jesus Christ, in desperation, probably he saw me and he remembered me and he pulled me out of the darkness mm -hmm. with his gentle and tender kindness. You know, it was very difficult that I also have to wrestle and in much tears that I often question God, mm -hmm. if you are the real God, could you just show me? And the next day, everything was different. The Bible came alive. And so at that moment, we were really passionate about evangelism. Everywhere we go, we said, everybody needs to hear about this story, mm -hmm. about the love of God in the gospel. In 2015, I worked for 10 years in corporate America. The Lord had to use a layoff from my job. And then at that moment, the Lord um, pushed us to fundraise, to come here so that Rick can become a full-time student at DTS. And we said, Lord, if you're going to give, we will go. And he has given us six years at DTS and ongoing till now. In 2018, so... I also sensed the urgency to be equipped at DTS as well. I said that, Lord, I, I would love to integrate the faith into the workforce. So I want to equip the saints. Teach me how to do that. And who knew that our Heavenly Father had a grander plan? He always has the best plan for us. So he said that, daughter, not this right now, but... I would like you to go through a post-abortion retreat. Hmm. And I said, Father, 
really with all the homeschooling finals and then um, Taekwondo ministry, college ministry that we're in. And I've never heard of this kind of retreat. And but with lots of grief, pain, as I dragged in my foot into the doors of that retreat. After a weekend, I attended the Someone Cares retreat in Dallas, where I learned how to grieve. And later, I was an intern at a 12-week recovery group. And later on, I attended a deeper still retreat in Tennessee, where I encountered the Holy Spirit very intimately. Um, I had to face something back then where, you know, we didn't understand the sacredness of life. And back when we, when we were in college, we sacrifice our unborn for this whole world. But this whole world has nothing comparing to a living life within me. Hmm. So, Rick, what's your, what's your side of the story? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Taiwan. And then as Jocelyn shared, uh, the, part, the big part of our life is really about achieving honor and shame. And to the point where that is almost like you asked a fish in the water, what is, you ask a fish, what is the water? Uh, the, the fish will say, what is water? There's nothing else. There's no other ways for the fish to know. There's a different purpose of life, the different sets of the uh, belief system. So that, that was the upbringing. And pursuing the whole world, you know, Romans 1 is pretty much sum up everything that we, I have done in the past and uh, lived 24 years without knowing Jesus until <clears throat> when we found out that we actually, uh, um, we found her pregnant and then that completely shattered our lives. And at that time, just because we don't know the value of life without knowing Jesus Christ is is our Lord and Savior that the culture is is affirming us. Hey, you just need to clean up, fix the problem, and move on. <clears throat> and so that's what we did. Um, and as if that there's nothing happened, and I, I even vowed to myself that I am not going to share with anybody else with this part of story. It will I will bury this part of story with me to the grave and without mentioning the words. And even our parents did not know about that. And then a year later, um, as you can imagine, that the, the spirit of God began to wove in into me that because living in the darkness and shame and knowing there's something deep inside that I cannot share that it really affects and trigger any anything that I do. And even later on, I went to seminary, become a pastor, serving in uh, the church in Texas. Um, I, I'm really good at you know, performing, you know, pleasing people, say the words people want to hear, or even just do things that gain people's respect. And just a lot of the turmoil, a lot of the darkness that, you know, I've been wearing a mask, the facade for way too long, way before COVID. And it's really not until uh, 2020, something dramatically, uh, even supernaturally happened. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll share it in just a second. So that's how, that's my life story. Okay. Myself. So this is, this is pretty fascinating. So, um, so the post abortion seminar that you attended was in part to deal with what you had been through. Am I right about that? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, and and I guess this. Well, let me mention something. I, you all work for Life International, which is headquartered in Grand Rapids, and uh, on their website, you know, they make a point. They start off with birth, and then they go through the care of a person all the way through their life, which is something mm-hmm. we want to try and do as we talk with you. But the thing that struck me is I, there's a statistic on that webpage that mm-hmm. talked about how many children are born in a given year and how many children are aborted in a given year. And I think the figure is something like one out of every four pregnancies ends in an abortion. At least that was the figure this last year, which is a number that um, and and, it's, and that's globally. We're not just talking about the United States. That's mm-hmm. globally. And I, I'm just thinking about, man, is that what a number that is? Um, yes. Uh, such a high number. I had no idea it was it was that prevalent but mm-hmm. i i'm assuming that in the midst of doing this even though i, I also am assuming that we, this happened before you be, you came to the lord that mm-hmm. um that something in you triggered that there just wasn't something right about having gotten an abortion am i right about that or did you have that sense before you came to the lord yes and then so yeah. At that time, we were just thinking, what will people think about us, you know? And then, uh, you know, being a performer, we just wanted to hide that part. We never yeah. talked about it, and we taken upon the decisions of, upon ourselves. And then in Taiwan, there wasn't any resources. There wasn't any pregnancy centers, and nobody ever talked about it. We remember in middle school mm-hmm. when we were being taught about sexuality, it was only two pages. And then it was just really fast. Like the teacher wanted to just skim through it. And then afterwards, nothing was taught. And so in in school, we just we just put it in the underneath the rug in the closet and mm-hmm. uh, not not trying to say that it pretended not that it didn't happen, but it would just shut there. And then we never dealt with it till we went to a retreat like this, which we never thought that there was this kind of retreat because I lived 10 years of Christian life afterwards. And then I've never heard of this kind of retreat. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at that moment, John 9, 1 to 3 really imprinted it in my heart. And you know the story. His disciples asked Rabbi that is it the men or their parents that sinned that he was born blind? But what did Jesus say? Jesus say, neither it is this man nor his parents that he was born blind, but so that the works of God will be displayed through him so that his work will be displayed. And at that moment, because of learning how to grieve, encountered the Holy Spirit, slowly I became to breaking the alabaster jar that my friend encouraged me to do. And so God's redemptive love can show and shine through this story. And I turned to Rick. I said, Rick, it's time for you to go. <laughs> and so he, so he attended a retreat as well with you or, or on his own? Well, actually, uh, I was. Uh, I said no. Huh. You know, I think uh, I said no. It's not. I mean, I I know my theology. You know, I think when the moment I professed my faith in Jesus Christ, I already dealt with uh, my sin with Jesus, and I've been forgiven, and my sin has been washed away white as the snow. 
But then, you know, the other part, um, God has to use COVID uh, 2020 and uh, closing the border of New Zealand while we were really just waiting and been discerning going overseas to serve at a church in New Zealand hmm. for waiting for uh, more than two years. But God has to use that 2020. And we call that a lot of people want to delete that year. But that happened to be a mighty years of our family. He brought me deeper. So I I dragged, I was dragging my feet to uh, Smoky Mountain, which is where the retreat was, was hosted. And went through three days completely soaked in, in the Holy Spirit, that bathing prayer, people serve you. And um, without knowing that, you know, I have never really surrendered 100% of my life to Jesus. And so I left this retreat. Mm-hmm. I made a commitment to the Lord that will begin to talk about our unborn daughter's name, which is Iris. She will be 20 years old this year. Mm. And secondly, I will begin to share my testimony with people who have uh, God has brought into my life. And this is the part I want to kind of emphasize a little bit. So I, we were still living in at DTS at that time, 2020. Mm-hmm. And so I came back. I began to uh, pray and God brought people to me. I began to share with my fellow seminarians and pastors. And to my surprise, but which I shouldn't, that one of them uh, came out by saying that, I don't know why you shared this with me, but I have gone through the same thing. And you are the first person I was able to share because you share with me. And there are other younger seminarians who were sharing that they were living a double kind of life. Within the door of their dorm, they're addicted to a pornography, a fantasy, arguing with their wife and spouse. But then when they come out, they have to put on the best uh, themselves, mm-hmm. say the things that people want to hear because they're serving at the church. And that just occurred to us that there, how many people actually still living in such a defeated life when John 10, 10, that Jesus has come and give us a life and have it abundantly, that even within this, the, the circle of our Christian community, that there's so many hidden sin and shame has not uh, been explored and even been healed. And so that's one one thing that began to vow to to ourselves and God that mm-hmm. you know we want to go anywhere mm-hmm. that devaluation of life is happening, even within our uh, backyards that mm-hmm. where we are. And God began to open doors, and we got to speak on the different churches, uh, organizations, and mission conference. And so those are the the part of where God's leading us that the redemption of God is not just individually, but also it's a whole family and that can affect the entire church community and even the city eventually to to the country. Yeah. Yeah. God's really opened up the doors for us during um, and after recovery that uh, we get to minister to a high schooler that just got an abortion and then to a lady across the table saying that it is so sad that she had to understand the sacredness of life when her hair is turning gray. And then, um, you know, not only that we found our new passion in walking alongside wounded hearts to see their lives radically transformed to have total dependence on Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but we personally experience and have experienced through discipleship and ministering that 
when they're done with recovery, they're better off to receive new information, whether it's academic work or other things in, in front of them. And so um, we just want to let you know that uh, we've really encountered um, seven people around us that still will benefit from a, a retreat at DTS. Hmm. So, um, I've got I've got a million questions. I'm trying to decide which one of the million to ask, which takes a while. But anyway, uh, let, let's go here. So, so what would be your general advice to someone who was in the situation you were in before you went to the retreat? And they they had done something, they did something, they knew, and they had a sense wasn't quite right, and they knew that they were kind of shoving it down underneath and locking it up. Uh, what what's your advice to a person who finds himself in that situation? Yeah, you know, um, we are so good at reading the Bible and then understanding the scripture, but do we really understand the heart of it, the core? Mm-hmm. As in, you know, you look back on the biblical stories and even people that have gone before us, you know, the woman at the well or um, the blind man or so forth, they were desperate. They were, they they carried their sins to Jesus mm-hmm. and not knowing what will happen. And all they have is just to fix their eyes on Jesus mm-hmm. and their faith made them well. Jesus said that I'm not only going to heal you physically, I'm going to heal you spiritually. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? That I'm not going to let my sins be in the gap of me reaching Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that I have, I have sinned and I still, I'm still a sinner and then I will sin in the future, but I'm going to bring this to you, Lord. Mm-hmm. And I know that you are bigger. You're bigger than my sins and all the stuff that I've done in the past and now and will do in the future. That Lord, all that you've done at Calvary will make no sense if I didn't fully surrender to you. Mm-hmm. And so that knowing our God, he loves us so much. He forgives and he wants to redeem you mm-hmm. because what he did at Calvary was so much. He not only take away like my sin, my husband's sins. But instead, he redeemed us. He redeemed me, my husband, and our whole family. So what Rick didn't mention was after he came back to the retreat, our oldest daughter, you know, um, I mean, we have three kids. Now they're 11, 8, and 5. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they were a little bit more younger. And so we had to face to let them know that you actually have a sister in heaven. And so she, she embraced me and cried with me for 30 minutes. Mm. And, but you know, afterwards what she did, she Mm. wrote a song for Mm. the men and women who are struggling, who are wounded. And so now when Rick goes out to preach, we, we, we deliver the message as a family. He talks about the identity of Christ and we come up to share our recovery story and the kids, they wrap it up with a song called Healing. Mm-hmm. And so the redemption comes as in a holistic way. Mm-hmm. And all the things that we've done, it's not that one day that I woke up that I said that 
I want to take away a precious life. Uh, well, I didn't even know it was a life. And so it's not that, but you need to see it in a holistic way, how we were raised, what the culture was speaking into us, mm. how we were influenced mm. and brought up. And so that at that moment, that event occurred, whatever it is, and that robbed us from the love of God. Mm. Um, yeah. Rick. Yeah, and I, I will just add a scripture that James 5, 16, that's, um, as uh, many people have memorized, uh, confess your sin with one another, pray for one another for the prayer will be uh, a powerful and effective. And I realized that it's throughout this season of restoration and healing that it's not, <clears throat> this is not just a scripture that we memorize, but it's actually a powerful, powerful um a message for people and to live out. Mm -hmm. And we have encountered people who have gone through maybe suicidal thoughts, mm -hmm. abuse, and more than just abortion, all the kinds of devaluation of life. Mm -hmm. And the very first place is really recognize that are we um, have anything holding back from receiving uh, the fullness of the spirit of Jesus Christ? A lot of time that you ask the question that if there's anything in your life that you would like to receive the healing, you would like to have Jesus to meet you at a place. And I we believe that the beginning of the healing is to meet Jesus where they want to run away from, whatever that is, mm -hmm. before their salvation or in the midst of uh, following Jesus or serving Jesus. I think there's always the area that we are we cannot talk about. And so our invitation is always that uh, Jesus want to meet you uh, where you are running away. And we are here as a community to walk alongside you, to serve alongside you, to pray over you, champion for you, marching on our knees to pray for you. And we over and over that this is not a science, you know, rocket science. You know, once you, there's a formula, but it's really just a based on relationship and discipleship mm -hmm. that you, people can trust you. It's not a safe place, but a safe person that they will be able to surrender and let go. And then we begin to see life begin, begin to um, uh, come forth and then we'll um, burst into a transformation. Yeah. So, so, so uh, I'm assuming that you're doing this in, in conjunction with your ministry with Life International. We haven't talked about how you got to <laughs> Life International, so let's do that. Well, um, yes. So uh, you you came to seminary. Um, it sounds like you're some of you are, you're still in class, uh, yeah. and so you're you're still doing that. You're not in Dallas. You're in Grand Rapids. I know how that happens. We do online, so that that part's easy. Uh, but um, so tell us about how you transitioned to Life International. Was Life International responsible for this retreat, or did it come some other way? No, actually, well, during this whole time, I was still in class. Rick graduated in 2019. Okay, and then. Um, and waiting for New Zealand. Yeah, waiting for New Zealand, the borders to open up. God really called us there. There was an army waiting behind us to go. And but during that time, God refined our call. 
um, way before we knew Life International existed, he said that I want you to talk about the sacredness of life. And then as we're serving at recovery retreats, mm-hmm. either in Dallas with Someone Cares or Deeper Still, Deeper Still has 24 chapters globally. In Asia, they have it too. You could go to Hawaii to get healed as well. Mm-hmm. And the whole retreat is completely free. You just got to say yes to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then so, um, so like Rick said, we created a safe space. We encounter uh, seminarians, leadership, church body, and then that has not only abortion issues, but uh, suicidal thoughts, marital issues, struggle. Yeah, we'll with get there. Yeah. Okay. And then, so nice. Life International, we got to know them through Deeper Still. They're sort of like a sister kind of organization. And so they invited us to come up on the website to, I mean, through Zoom to un- learn their courses. It's like a four, three to four day course online, or you could take it in person. So at that time, we got to train with them. We love the, we love it. It's prevention. The Lord said, we, we don't want to only do recovery. Let's do prevention. Hmm. And so um, later on, we just kept in touch. Sometimes we'll teach online. At that time, we were still in the Swindle Tower. So we were there for six years till this May. And so this May. Yeah, early this year that they reached out to, to us by asking that, would you be interested in joining Life International mm-hmm. to serve as a pastor of partner care, mm. uh, pastor of partner care. And, uh, and long story short, I mean, we pray for a couple months to make sure that if this is where God's calling, because I mean, Grand Rapids, we, we have no one that we know here. And then uh, we know the winter is going to be like notorious. Yeah, just, just like, exactly. You're probably in the midst of it right now. But anyway. Winter Wonderland. Yeah. But yes. I mean, I'm a Texan from Taiwan. I know. You know I what? tease people when they go to the north. And say, I hope white is your favorite color. So, <laughs> um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then so, but, you know, when God opens the door, uh, nobody can really shut. Mm-hmm. And then so we pray and then really guys make it so clear that the, the next season of life that God is really just open up our this newfound passion that even though I'm still called to uh, want to be a serving a past, pastoral ministry, but then guys telling us, no, there's a lot of churches in need of the resources. Mm-hmm. So we will. We pray to become a bridge, to become a, a support, to really strengthen Christ's church uh, around the world. So, so the ministry steps into church contexts that are looking to be able to minister to people in this situation, and you offer uh, resources and advice and counsel for how to do that? Is that basically the core of what the ministry is about? Uh, yes, um, it's actually uh, more than that. Um, I think the goal is to make known a father's heart for the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. And part of what we do is that recognizing that there is so much devaluation of life happening. And we believe that you know abortion is only the tip of the spear, that there is a op- oppression of women, there's a euthanasia, there's a shooting, uh, human trafficking, abuse. So as we really uh, travel around the world, I got to uh, uh, to different parts of the nations in the past couple months that you realize that there's so much hurting and pain and a lot of pastors that they are lacking of the resources, not alone to even speak into the cultural moment, moment like this. Mm-hmm. That I was just in India for uh, two times actually. 
a couple months ago, and uh, pastors there are very burned for the gospel. You know, they are just all for the kingdom. They are running, and yet they do not know how to talk about abortion because, I mean, India or in Asia, in uh, abortion is just going uh, through the roof. Mm-hmm. Like everywhere you go, that you see abortion thrown away, a sign. Don't don't throw it away, uh, your baby girl, and or. Uh, they even in India that if you uh, they don't they don't allow ultrasound because once they found out it's a girl they uh, almost a hundred percent of the chance that they will abort on uh, the baby mm. and such things like that uh, we got to connect with the people uh, who are serving in the ministry and so we provide these trainings. It's called Journey of a Life Giver, that I touch base on the message of life and talk a lot about the foundation of life, which is a biblical worldview. That's a decision of a board a baby is not built up overnight. Right. It's throughout the years, throughout the background and culture. And so we begin with the foundation, kind of deconstruct what their background uh, and value and to rebuild what does the Bible say? And it's not about political. I think a lot of times, especially in America, that we kind of politicize the uh, pro-life movement. But I do really want to emphasize this uh, with, with you, Dadabak, and whoever is listening, that we uh, the goal for our purpose is not about to change the law, but to change the hearts. Because we are not trying to make biblical uh, make abortion illegal because it doesn't matter how hard you try it's there's going to be abortion but mm-hmm. we are trying to make abortion unthinkable because ultimately this is not a political issue this is a biblical issue mm-hmm. that the imago day image of god is under great attack on um, in this time and age and so what we really going after is not about changing the law yes that's part of the plan but we are calling ourselves as equipping ministry mm-hmm. that we are serving the pastors and and the leaders and helping them to empower them actually we don't try to take over we go to india we go to georgia in central asia uh we go to africa we don't tell them what to do but we come alongside them to serve them and then contextualize their own culture and so they are taking all this curriculum um, to be able to serve their own people. Okay, so that's a great that's a great overview of the direction of the ministry. I this episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, "If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican." Huh? That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
I have one loose end I want to tie before we turn to some of the other categories besides abortion, since you did just a great job there of talking about what's important and that, and to make what I think is a fundamental biblical point, which is you don't get changed without changed hearts. I like to use the example of, of Acts 19, where yes. the magic books were burned in Ephesus. And I said yes. that didn't happen because the Ephesian city council had a meeting and said, we're outlawing magic books. That happened because people's hearts were changed, and they said magic is bad for us. So, right. um, so, so that's a that's a very. I'm I'm deeply curious where in New Zealand you all were thinking about serving before <laughs> you before you did. I, I go to New Zealand every other summer, so this is fascinating oh, yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were thinking about having a partnership with DTS once we yes. get to go because we know that it used to be a there's a. Uh, office or school there, you yeah. know. So we actually um, signed a contract with a church in Christchurch. Oh, sure. In Christchurch. And that was a February 2020. And then as you can imagine, right, a month later, COVID hit, everything just right, shut down. Right, everything completely shut yeah. down. Yeah, I went in I, last summer right after, as the restrictions were being lifted, and actually yeah. was in Christchurch, was one of the places I was, I visited uh, this last summer. I've been there now twice. And so um, I've been there, I think I've been to New Zealand six times total, because I go every other summer for about two months, yeah. uh, New Zealand yeah. and Australia, and mm-hmm. I've really come to love... Um, the church there and the people there. So that's that's interesting. That's, that's an interesting thing to walk walk away from in many ways because the opportunities that yeah. that are exist and the need is so great. So let's transition back to you've already said you've already talked about abortion and and we said this is womb to tomb and we're if we're not careful we'll get stuck in the womb and I want to get through life. You said there are several other things. There's suicide ideation. There's human yeah. trafficking. There's uh, what else? Uh, what else is is in that list? Of, okay, so the person's born, and we're thinking about how mm. does life get um, desacralized or 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 mm. devalued? Uh, what are the types of areas that you all talk about? Yeah, so one of the um, sections of this curriculum, we also talk about how to be a life giver. Mm-hmm. Life giver, not only for those who are easy to love and who care for you, who are talking like you, but also to those who are difficult to love or hate you or don't say anything similar as you or even vote differently uh, like you. And so based on that foundation that we uh, get to uh, talk about oppression, uh, oppression of women. Mm-hmm. Oppression of oppression of women is the area where that everywhere you go, basically in Asia or Africa, you know, it's it's uh, devalued uh, and even polygamy. Now in Africa, I remember one of the stories that our trainer went to Africa, one of the countries, and uh, there's a group of just a pastors and bish- uh, bishops and meeting and receiving the training. And the story, as we uh, taught and throughout the time, until the time where that we talk about the uh, God's plan for marriage, which is that the marriage is a, a holy institution created by God uh, um, with one man and one woman. And then one of the bishops just stood up and was so mad by saying that, what are you talking, what are you saying that this is only one man and woman? And our culture, our background is 
I mean, you can have multiple wives. And as a matter of fact, that, you know, in Old Testament, they always kind of refer to that. And then it took a while for other bishops and pastors rally to pray and to confess. And then in the end, we turn that into a time of just a confession and worship. And that the, the biblical truth has been revealed to all these bishops and they went back to their village. They was able, they were able to begin to talk about what is marriage? What is God's intent for this area? And also euthanasia or disability. And we also talked uh, about what if it's a Down syndrome. Um, so we just recently had a, another case in India too. One of the leaders have Down syndrome, a baby already diagnosed that in the womb. And then so uh, how do most of the time in India, there's a condition, even you're a Christian, you can still abort the baby because um, you don't want to have a burden for the family. But then because of we the, the teaching that for a lot of the dis- disabled people, um, even like blind, we have uh, attendees who are uh, having a lot of defect of their body. They were able to be, uh, receive the value of God. And then so people begin to see people in a different way, view uh, each individual uh, whether man or woman, whether they're rich or poor, um, or a healthy or sick defect through the lens of God. Okay, so, so I'm assuming that the starting point for this is because um, we've uh, spent a lot of time saying, here are the problems, here are the things that are faced. But I'm assuming yeah. that one of the core starting points for this is to establish the sacredness of life because every human being is made in the image of God. And Amen. that that's kind of the the stop one, if I can say it that way, in the story, uh, yeah. and, and then it builds from there. I also assume that in the midst of this, there's a discussion about about the value of each human person, which moves in the direction of, uh, mm-hmm. of a broad definition of justice and a broad definition of caring for people uh, that that says that every human life has has value and is sacred and, and starts from that point. Am I am I right about that? You are absolutely mm-hmm. right, hundred yeah. percent. And if I can add, like there's five main points. So I'm just gonna go down really quick. The foundation of life, where what's the biblical worldview, and then the um, how do you become a life giver? You know, redemptive thinking, transformation, abiding in Christ. What is marriage and family? The miracle of life. Biblical sexuality, family planning, and so forth, the devaluation of the life, abortion and its effects, and then global issues. And how do we restore? Let's not end on the devaluation, but let's restore. What's the next step of healing and renewal and repentance and forgiveness? So so this involves kind of rallying around people who have a need and uh, helping them kind of um, I, I, the Romans 12, 1 and 2 pops in my mind about, you know, transforming the way you think about the world and wh- the way you see it. And mm-hmm. and then out of that, a redirecting the energy that you give to life and what you think about and what you direct and how you interact with them. And then you're, you're off and running and trying to be someone who is called to represent God in the world and to, and to serve and be redemptive, to be... To be the passer-on or the mediator of what it is you have received from Him uh, in the way in which you live out your life. 
That's yeah. right. Amen. Yeah. And that about if I can ask one thing that, you know, as we our mission statement is so clearly and explicitly teach truth and love well. Mm-hmm. I oftentimes uh, kind of categorize Life International under the category of love well. Mm-hmm. How do we love well in the intimate and personal way for those broken hearted and crushing spirit? And also a lot of times that is even are we able to be formed into the likeness of Christ? Are we able to counsel people or pastoring people who have been hurt or gone through a lot of different um, devaluation of life in their lives? And so what we really just championing here is that, you know, as we are trained to uh, exegete the words and then teaching the Bible and theology, at the same time, on the flip side, how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus and providing resources and, and, and connecting with people who are really just living in shame and brokenness and because that's our experience too uh, i i i can't tell you how important i think this is i mean in in the way i i will often say it is in the conservative church we have a premium that we put on the truth and believing the right thing but yes. the other half of that equation is how you minister and how you pastor and how you relate to people in in the fallen situations they often find themselves in or have placed themselves in because they've simply absorbed uh, what's been said to them all their lives from the world. And uh, and so thinking about, one, how to reach out to people who are in that situation, and two, how to minister to them in such a way that also shows there's a whole other way to put this together and to make yes. sense out of your life, and then the middle of that is Jesus Christ and the gospel. I, I, I can't imagine a, a, a better, more useful, more holistic way of ministering to the entirety of a person's spirit. Uh, than than doing that. And so um, I I love the emphasis that says, yeah, we believe this and we know this and this is what the Bible teaches, but then how are we actually going to touch people who have been impacted by by the choices that they've made and the decisions that they've undertaken that that God can redeem? Mm, Amen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then the thing is that Life International, they – you know, to date that they have over 13,000 gospel leaders already trained in the six continents, over 91 nations. And so they break it down to 10 hubs. And then you want to share the hub? Yes. Uh, This is one of the things that Life International, as you talked about, what are we really going after? That our really end goal is one, to strengthen Christ's church everywhere um, that that is uh, serve the people pastors are serving. And number two is that we pray this message of, of life will be uh, like a wildfire. And the next year that in November, and the, uh, I think the third week, 20, uh, don't, don't count on me. I need to check the, the dates, but November that we will host a Congress for life hmm. in Mota. Hmm. I Mota, where Apostle Paul got shipwrecked, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the place. And then uh, we will rally the delegates from 199 nations to come together and have a, a, a time of confession, 
time of prayer, worship, and commission sent uh, them out into their nation for the very purpose. This message of life will be a outburst of uh, wildfire fire to spread out every part of their nation. And so our job right now, uh, basically for my what I'm doing as a past, pastor partner care, I'm walking alongside these pastors and delegates and to pray with them, serve alongside them and encourage them and provide spiritual resources. But then for them to do the work that take this message and into their uh, their country. And we pray that eventually the rate of the abortion will pray for prayerfully decrease to ultimately decease. And we believe, you know, this is something, the big goal that we are praying for. And if if that's even possible on this side of eternity, but that is our life goal mission that is not just about abortion, but for the life message. Uh, to be spread out. And it's not just about pro-life movement, but this is, I we see that as a great commission movement because not until <laughs> it's, every person... It's pro-life. <laughs> I mean, it's not a pro-life movement, it's pro-life. Uh, you, said, you said there are yeah. 10 hubs. What are they? So we have a lot in America and we have North America. We um, in Central Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Oce- Oce- uh, Oceania. Yep. Oceania. Yeah. That's where you were headed. Go ahead. <laughs> and then East Asia uh, and MENA and Middle East and North Africa and Sub-Sahara and Europe. So far, we have formed seven uh, hub leaderships. And so next year, we are looking into uh, East Asia, Oceania, and then uh, lastly, North America. Hmm. And so, yeah, this is a, I think this is a vision that God has given to our president and founder. And so far that we have been just seeing that fulfill one step at a time and day by day, more and more just delegates that, hey, we would love to journey with you. So, so far we have, I think I can say this, uh, about 44 delegates. So we have about uh, 30 nations. I mean, two, sometimes it's a, a couple serving together. Right. And so I got to go visit them in person, host a training. Um, that's just also part of what I, what I do and our whole family is serving together. So I've, I forgot to ask this at the start. So this is a good time to ask it. So how long has Life International been around? I mean, how old an organization is it? So it has been uh, 21 years okay. uh, since 2001. And then uh, it's quite a, a fascinating story behind that. Our building here in Grand Rapids used to be the largest abortion clinic. And it was a synagogue before that. That's on your webpage. That was really interesting right. to read. You, you've, I mean, the, it's, it's been a lot of places. The building has gone nowhere and been a lot of places. So, yeah, you, you know the story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us and to introduce us, not just to... Uh, life international but just to this whole message of thinking through the entirety of life as being something that should be um, dedicated and generated to honoring people who are made in the image of God and thinking through how to minister to people who have made in some cases uh, what we might consider poor decisions or decisions that they now regret etc and being able to think about how do you minister to 
to bring them out of where they were with an understanding of how they got there, uh, mm-hmm. that is that is uh, really terrific. So I just want to thank you for giving us your time and sharing a little bit of your story. It, it's it, it's a it's a story. I was going to say it isn't just a story with, with a with a tomb to womb perspective, which kind of covers everything. But it it's not a long ending. It's it's in progress, and it's going to be in progress for a long time. And we just really are supportive of what it is that you're trying to do. And um, and I'm glad that in the midst of it, you've brought a little of that message back to us here at the seminary. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And then, Dr. Buck, once again, it's not just our story. This is God's story that, that continue to write in our lives and through us. That's great. We really thank you, Rick and Jocelyn, for doing this. And we thank you for being a part of the table. We'll hope you'll join us again soon. If you're interested in other uh, episodes of the table, you can see it at voice.dts.edu slash table podcast. And that'll take you to the more than uh, actually 500 hours of material that we've done (laughs) on an array of topics. Uh, We often say, welcome to the table. We discuss issues of God and culture and the point Mm -hmm. under Underneath that is, that means we discuss anything and everything, and we don't have anything and everything up on that site yet, but we're trying to get there. So we hope you, uh, we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you for joining us on the table. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary: Teach Truth, Love Well. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.